As I drove in today, I uh, just couldn't help but I don't, I don't fully understand why. I'm just excited to be with you guys. We've been doing this for a while and particularly encouraged that you uh, are disciplined to be here. There's certainly a discipline to this to come and, and join together even when we can't actually, you know, exchange a hug or a handshake or even see each other face to face. And so thank you for your consistency and Man, I want to encourage you to continue really fellowshipping, even though this is certainly a virtual fellowship, fellowshipping with other believers. One of the things that just crossed my mind on the way is that if you stay consistent all this time, that's just something to celebrate with the Lord. Thank him for holding you accountable to this over the last few days. And if you've just kind of been in and out, that would be something to ask him for, hold me accountable to being uh, under the word of God and also being together as, as much as possible. I do want to remind you that a great way to do this in community is to take in whatever we're producing in a virtual kind of way and then get on the phone and call somebody when it's done. Call somebody else that may be taking this in or, or just call a family member even that uh, you could share with what you just heard or uh, even a song that you may have sung out loud in your living room. I know we got one group in a garage at least. Um, it's really important that, that we fight the, the temptation. There's this weird temptation to completely isolate, um, and it's really dangerous. So I want to warn you about isolation. want to commend you for being consistent and being here. And we're, we're looking forward to a day where, you know, hugs and, and uh, um, handshakes and all that are are back normal, but uh, for now, we want to stay the course, and be consistent, and I'm really excited about this passage I get to share with you in a few minutes. Let, let me pray over us all, and uh, we'll get into God's Word. Father, we are thankful that we are still gathering together despite uh, the craziness in our world. Uh, I've celebrated multiple times, even this camera that we bought not too long ago before COVID really even hit and learned how to use it. And we're glad to have it, Lord. Thank you for the resources to buy it and, and for the technology. And I know Andy's back there working on this right now and other folks that work hard uh, to, to get this out to folks in their homes. We all do this, Lord, because we want to please you. Folks are disciplined to take this in and uh, because they want to please you, and uh, this morning, Lord, we, we trust that your spirit will work through, uh, through this lens and on that screen and meet us in these moments. I don't know how this is possible, but I have experienced it, Lord, that you can even join us together even though we can't see each other uh, based on your spirit. We got folks, Lord, you know where they are in the hotel room or on the road traveling, and this is a way for them to be consistent, to fellowship together, and again, meet them wherever they are and encourage them with these few minutes uh, and teach us about who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us on a regular basis, you know we're teaching uh, the book of Mark. The book of Mark's in the New Testament, and we're walking through his account of Jesus walking the planet. Uh, walking the planet all the way to the death, burial, and resurrection of, of our Lord Jesus. Uh, and then what we're trying to do is intermittently, as we go through Mark, um, put in a, a few talks, sermons, messages uh, that 
tell us about the greatness of God. So we're calling one good news. That's our study through the book of Mark. And then when we just focus on the greatness of God, we're just simply calling it awesome. And so last week, Russell online actually addressed the idea that God is a God of grace. And it is really fun to talk about God's grace. It's humbling. It's, it's amazing. It sets Christianity apart from all other religions. This, this idea of grace is unique uh, to, to God and his design and the truths in the Bible. Uh, but today, we actually want to talk about his holiness. And his holiness, so, so you have grace and holiness, and they really, they really go hand in hand. It's really cool to talk to them, talk about them back to back. But when we talk about his holiness, you cannot get away from that simple word we're using as a title, that he is awesome. And I got one passage in the Bible that I thought would uh, particularly bring light to his, to his awesomeness, if that's even a fair word to use. It's a book in the Old Testament, and I, you probably know how the Bible works, but the Old Testament, there's 39 books, and they're really old, so we call them the Old Testament, right? And, and then we... We have 27 books in the New Testament where the book of Mark is, and, and it's newer, so we call it the New Testament, though it's old as well. Uh, it, it's close to 2,000 years old, and obviously the Old Testament is significantly older. At least, I mean, the, the newest book in the Old Testament is 2,500 years old. And you and I, if you believe in Jesus and believe in the inspired word of God, we actually believe all those books have power and still speak today. And so, so this prophet from the Old Testament, he's in this big section of books in the Old Testament that are all written by prophets. Uh, he actually writes the first one, and he writes the, the longest one, which is Isaiah. Um, he writes 66 chapters, or at least that's how we organize it. And he captures all of this, uh, a lot of times, his uh, pushing the nation of Israel toward repentance, which is kind of how the Old Testament works. And w- when he, uh, in chapter 6, has this vision, an encounter, uh, as the way I would like to describe it, with God, he is completely floored. And so chapter 6, verse 5, there's this really interesting verse. Lots of folks quote it. I've never read it out of the New Living Translation, but I want to read it to you now. The NLT says, when Isaiah encounters God, he says, then I said, looking back on the event, it is all over. Like, like I met God, I'm done, I'm cooked, I'm, I'm toast. It's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven, heaven's armies. You, you just pick up on his quick encounter with God. You can't. You can't miss this idea of how awesome God is because this, this is, a, Isaiah is a, a good dude, right? Like in his community, he probably stood out as one of the cleanest living guys around. He knew God's word, the, the little bit that he had, and he actually heard from God and he spoke for God. And yet when he met God in this, in this encounter, he's, he's just floored. He's put on his face and all he can think is this is the end of me. Which I love, like, like he's not even really talking about death, like just utter destruction of him because of the greatness of God. And as we talk about holiness here just for a few minutes, there's no way to talk about the purity of God and, and not very quickly see our impurity, our brokenness. And when I say brokenness, that's not like a soft term. It, it, it's like this, these 
deep flaws that in me started at birth and in you started at birth. I was born a sinner, and I've proven that I'm a sinner over a lifetime. And when I get exposed to the holiness of God, when you get exposed, it's supposed to bring us to repentance. And even sometimes in such an overwhelming way that we just say it's all over. I'm doomed. I don't belong here. And we do not. Uh, I wanted to set up this, this crazy, like, uh, moment where Isaiah is saying how awesome God is with kind of how he got there. So we'll, we'll kind of roll back in the passage in Isaiah chapter 6, and he'll give us a little idea of when it was in history. And, and here's how he starts. He says, it was in the year King Uzziah died. I don't know if you know who King Uzziah is. I wouldn't think you would, but he's one of the kings of Israel. Long story, he was a good king. Uh, he led the people well, and Man, if you're a part of a kingdom, you want a king that leads and loves people well. He died. Um, and then Isaiah makes this pretty cool. He, he gives you the time and place. So he's in Israel. It's King Uzziah. King Uzziah dies. And then he says, that I saw the Lord. And then he says this great line. He was sitting on a lofty throne and, his train of his, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So it's like. Like, it's a pretty sad day when a good king dies because you have no idea what the future holds, right? Like, so this good king dies, and yet Isaiah comes to this pretty cool, but, but, but Jesus, God the Father, is ruling. And for us, in the middle of, man, I just drove by uh, uh, earlier this week, and the early voting is going on, and cars were just stacked up in Lexington, not right over there near Liz Lizard's Thicket, and the line's out the door. Everybody's trying to get their vote and trying to figure out who's going to be our leader, who's going to be our president. And some folks are stressed out of their mind one way or the other about how this thing's going to go. It's a really cool reminder as Isaiah's living in real time <laughs> thousands of years ago. King Uzziah died. There's a change of leadership, and the Lord's still on the throne. So it doesn't matter whether it's going to be Trump or Biden. Uh, the Lord's going to be on the throne. Like He, he, ain't, he, he isn't going anywhere. He, there's no chance that he's going to get voted out, right? <laughs> Popular opinion will not remove him. There's no chance of a coup. There's no chance of some army coming and taking him out. There's not even a, a clear competitor. There's no one who rivals the king of glory who sits on the throne. And for you and me, that ought to bring great rest. But check out the passage and feel this word awesome. I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. So you can imagine this monster throne and his train. Now, you've been at a wedding where the bride has a long train and it's dragging down the aisle. But his train is all of creation, right, to the, to the tiny uh, really unique fish in the bottom of the ocean to the furthest star that any telescope has ever seen. It's all in this train, and it celebrates his greatness and how awesome he is. And attending him were mighty seraphim. <laughs> Boy, I guarantee you the movie makers can't even caption, capture how great these seraphim were. Each had six wings. Two were covered their faces, and two covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they called out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Awesome. The building's shaking, smoke's coming out, it's the, and, and their voices are, are just magnificent, not to mention their presence. These, these seraphim, which are hard for us to even understand, 
But even in their greatness, when they come into the presence of the living God, all they can say is holy, holy, holy. Like they started off with this central attribute of God, his grace, his love, all connected to his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the living God. Tony Evans, a guy I really like to listen to, a preacher from Dallas, when he defines God's holiness, he says it's his intrinsic and transcendent value. That's a bunch of syllables, right? Hard to even understand, which is perfect, because when John Piper, another guy I like to read, uh, tries to describe the holiness of God, he says it's rooted in his inability to be defined. I love that. Like it's so far above us, understands God's holiness and his purity is so far above us that it's rooted in his inability to be defined. So he, a simple word that we use is awesome. It's not big enough, but it's an attempt. Terrible is a pretty good word. Not a word we like to talk about. But in his holiness, certainly with those of us that are sinners, right, it's terrible. I don't know how well you know the Old Testament. We're just reading from it. But there's this, these stories throughout history of how terrible his holiness is. You remember uh, uh, Russell's talked about it where the uh, Ark of the Covenant is on a cart, not supposed to be, and it starts to fall off. And this one, we assume, good guy, runs over. I can imagine myself doing this, trying to be helpful, puts his hand on the Ark, and as soon as his hand touches the Ark, what happens? He drops dead. Holiness God. You remember these kids? They're just kids, right? There's this prophet. His name's Elisha. He's, he's walking, and they're mocking him, making fun of him. What happens? couple bears come out of the woods, kill all the kids. That's terrible. Remember when, when God comes to Mount Sinai with Moses and he's giving him the Ten Commandments and Moses goes up on the mountain and, and the warnings that he has, don't let anybody even touch the mountain. Don't let anybody even near the mountain or they'll be killed. And, and then the details of how to protect the perimeter of Mount Sinai, they're just nuts. That's terrible. It's all, the Old Testament does this great job for us of really beginning to define this central attribute of God called holiness, which makes us really fear him because of our flaws. Man, if you want to go to the New Testament, there's this really crazy encounter where uh, this guy named Ananias lies about how much he gave, and he, God strikes him dead. And his wife confirms his death. Her name's Sapphira, and she's... She's killed by God, like just drops dead right there and, and because of his holiness as he tries to preserve the holiness of what he's distressed. So there's this uh, intensity. When we talk about the holiness of God, there's an intensity about it. I want you to feel it. Many men and women throughout history, when they have focused in and they've started to read the Bible and read others, about the holiness of God, it has brought a transformation in their soul. And even this week, as I've read back through things I've read before, puts this uh, really healthy, heavy pressure on me to examine my, my own life, but to celebrate <laughs> the uniqueness of our great God, right? It, it speaks to his infinite value, his holiness does. So we've been, we've been going through the book of Mark, and we've had a couple pretty interesting moments where I don't know that we really calculated the holiness of God in them. Uh, Mark chapter 1, it's this crazy scene. It says the Spirit, verse 12 says, The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. 
Other, other gospels give it much more commentary. He goes into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. Literally, as you look at the language, it's as if he's going into the wilderness. Don't just think like going out into the woods, but think about going into the haunt that is dominated by Satan. He's going to Satan's place would be a better way to understand it. He, he intentionally, compelled by the Spirit, goes into this place that is full of Satan and sin. Uh, and it says that he was tempted, which for you and me is so encouraging that Jesus, all man, all God, was tempted. You and like like you and I are tempted, right? Like so, so he goes all the way to the filthiest, most vile, most dangerous place and walks into the haunt of Satan in the wilderness and spends 40 days there and faces face to face with the temptations that you and I face on a daily basis in much lower doses, right? And uh, there is no chance that he's going to sin, right? Because he's all man, so he can be tempted, but he's all God, so he's holy. And so there's nothing in him that is going to give in to the temptation, which is like mind-blowing to me. Some of these things about Jesus and about living God and, and this connection between his humanity and, and his deity, just I cannot get, but it's so encouraging, one, that he was tempted, and two, because of his holiness, that he did not sin, that he wasn't even capable of sinning. I, I, I know you guys all know this. I'm, I'm a sports fan, and I don't bet at all, but now these days when you uh, – when you watch any sports, they always give you the line. So if Carolina is playing somebody, they tell you how much Carolina is supposed to lose by or win by. Win by. Let's go with win by, right? Like so when they played Vanderbilt last week, there's a line, right? So th there's a line every week. There's this, it determines how much you're supposed to lose by. Here's the cool thing. Jesus goes in to the wilderness, into Satan's haunt, and if Vegas was going to set the line, they just wouldn't because there was no chance because of God's holiness that Jesus was going to sin. There's no chance. There's no line to set. It's done. He's going to win. It's done. <laughs> it's fun to read that about Jesus because is that true about you? It's not true about me. So, you and I sin, but we're born sinners. As a matter of fact, if you were going to set a line on us, it's a guaranteed loss. It's a guaranteed loss that we're not only we born sinners, but we are going to sin. And so you have this just a few verses later, Jesus first goes in to the wilderness and stands up against these three major temptations that the enemy's that the enemy brings upon him, and then he goes on to uh, heal this guy. You remember he's going he's to heal this paralytic. We spent a bunch of time on it a couple weeks ago, and Russell touched it again last week. And he, he comes to this man. He has this amazing statement. He says, I'm going to forgive you of your sins, which sends the whole room into a panic. And, and then later in the passage, in verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, So I'll prove you to you that the Son of Man, capital S, capital Man, God, the Son of Man, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, get up and walk. Like, so so he, he actually healed him to show that he has this authority to heal sins. What kind of authority is that? 
you can only have that kind of authority to forgive sins if you're holy. So even though his holiness is terrible in some senses, it's so awesome that you can't stand in front of it. The really amazing thing with the God-man Jesus is that he came and has the authority to forgive us of sins because he's the one who's offended, right? So if uh, I punch you in the face and whoever's sitting with you at the house right now forgives me, do they have the right to forgive me? No, I didn't punch them in the face, I'll punch you in the face. You're the only one that could forgive me for that, that act. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I hit you right on the chin, right? Like we'd have this, you'd probably get up and kick my tail, and that, that, that'd be that. But you're the only one that could take the punch and go, I forgive you. If your friend forgave me, you probably want to punch him in the mouth. It's such, a, such an odd thing for someone to forgive forgiveness that hasn't been offended. But Jesus, when he meets this paralytic, and for everybody in the room, really, that Jesus is dealing with, he can deal with his physical need, but he can specifically say, I forgive you of your sins because he's the holy God who has been offended by his sins. So it makes it this wonderful story for me and you to celebrate that the holy God wants to forgive us of our sins. Uh, what's interesting is then for some of us, we believed, right? I imagine the paralytic did that day and probably the four guys who lowered him down from the roof and probably several people in the room, they believed. And, and so, so they believed. And, and later, some of them, after Jesus died, believed in his death, burial, and resurrection. And, and so they were, they were changed. And, and I don't know you understand this, but then we're given the Holy Spirit. So, so the Bible says that despite our sinfulness, I'm born into sin. I'm a sinner. When I'm saved, I'm given the Holy Spirit. So when I'm given the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, I've got this thing that wars for what? Holiness. I love the fact that we call him the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, a person indwelling me. And so that sin nature that's always been in me, uh, uh, Galatians 5 talks about this, wars against the Holy Spirit. And there's always this battle going on inside of me on a daily basis. And I'm sure it, it is to you too. And if I will just yield according to Galatians chapter 5, if I'll just yield to the Holy Spirit, he'll have the victory. But I have a responsibility to yield. And so on a daily basis, if Vegas was going to place the odds on how I was going to perform in a day, right, it, it would be an interesting bet to make. They might favor me by four touchdowns because I've shown for weeks on end that I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit. Or they might favor me to lose by two touchdowns because I've shown for some weeks that I'm yielding to my flesh. And perhaps I start falling into an addiction and they start favoring me, favoring my flesh by four or five touchdowns. Like it, it, it just was, it swings, this sanctification process, it swings back and forth and back and forth. But I love the idea that our God, in his holiness, sent his son to forgive us of our sins, and then he gave us these tools to be like him. He literally says that we're supposed to be holy like he's holy. Well, he had to do all the work, which we'll talk about here in just a couple minutes with Hebrews, but then even in our daily grind, like this daily grind where we battle against sin, he gave us, he gave us the Holy Spirit, a, a, a part of the Godhead, right? He allows his spirit to indwell us, which is, again, blows my mind. He gave us the Holy Bible, 
I don't know what yours said. I used to always stare at that. Look, just on the King James, it looks even better. The Holy Bible is word that is right and, and perfect. And so he gave it to us so that we could carry on this war inside against our flesh. He gave us the holy priesthood. You ever, you ever heard the holy priesthood? He's not talking about a guy with a collar. He's talking about us, the church. He's given us the church. And so the Holy Spirit, the holy Bible, the holy priesthood or holy nation, whatever you want to call it, we have all of this so that we would yield and be like God and be holy like our God is holy. And in many ways, as we walk the planet, perhaps... In the church, we uh, talk too much about morality at times. Uh, Lately, sometimes I think we talk not enough that as we yield to the Holy Spirit and we do it in the right way, then we are actually proclaiming the holiness of God. So sometimes when you're abstaining from something that the Bible actually would call wrong, you're actually demonstrating to the world the holiness of God, which is a gift to the world. it's not something bad that they have to dread. It's, it's a gift for them to understand the holiness of God. I thought it would be cool to end with just this simple passage from Hebrews. And let me just say, man, we, we spend one message on the holiness of God, and there's books, books and books written on this subject. But Hebrews speaks to the holiness of God, particularly with this simple uh, five-letter word, blood. I just want to quit with this. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 21, and in the same way, he's talking about back in the days of the Old Testament, how the temple and the tabernacle worked. He sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. So either a lamb or a goat uh, was killed and there was, the blood was gathered and they put a little water in it. So it's a long process and he, he would take that and, and the priests would sprinkle it. Only the priests could do it. Sprinkle it over the tabernacle and, and over, uh, over the word that they had at that point. It's all kind of processes that you can even read about in Hebrews 9 if you want to take the time. On the tabernacle, on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law, Moses, nearly everything was purified by blood. Seems a little gross to us, but I, I want you to catch it. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I just want you to consider this holy God that the best of my ability I'm trying to hold up as pure, infinitely valuable, and separate from us, who wants a relationship with us, but the only way things can be made right, the only way true forgiveness can be had is for blood to be spilled. And so the Old Testament for hundreds of years, sets up the idea of God's holiness so that we could read it and understand it and be awed by it. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And he makes a way for us to interact, not just interact, but have deep relationship with the holy God. Check it out. This is uh, later in that same chapter. Uh, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So also Christ was offered once for all as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So let me just give you kind of a gross picture. 
if you are a follower of Jesus, the blood of Jesus has been sprinkled over you and you've been made holy. His blood was shed. The sacrifice uh, was infinitely valuable, just like the infinitely pure God needed. And he made you holy. At, at Radius, um, like the church has done for thousands of years, we like to do communion every Sunday. And so perhaps you're sitting at the house. Man, I just encourage you to go get whatever you've got in the fridge. Grape juice, eh, maybe preferable. Wine, if you got it. If it's a, if it's a Dr. Pepper, the Lord will understand. And, and, a, and a little piece of bread and celebrate the broken body with the bread and the shed blood of Jesus with the drink. Celebrate the fact that you've been made holy. I started this early by talking about Jesus going into the haunt of Satan, and there was no chance, the odds, there's no chance that Jesus is going to sin. He's holy. He's man, so he can be tempted, but he's God. He's holy. Let me, let me just say to you, as the follower of Jesus, if you've been, if you've believed in the shed blood of Jesus, as you celebrate communion, here's what you're celebrating. The enemy has no chance to snatch your soul out of the living God's hands. <laughs> like there's the, You're in the hand of the living God, and the enemy has no chance. Why? Because God's hand's so strong? No, because you've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, and God sees you despite all of your flaws and brokenness and sin. He sees you as holy because the blood has been shed, and you've been forgiven of those sins. And so when we take your bread and juice, we're celebrating a funeral, which is so weird, but we're celebrating because that blood, and I don't fully understand the blood thing, right? The Scripture consistently talking about, but I don't fully understand it, but I know that it made me holy so that when you and I get together online, right now we are a holy nation. No matter what you did this week. That compels us, however. When we come to the, see the blood and, and I mean, the broken body and the blood spread by Jesus at communion, it compels us to confess our sins. We don't want to come and take that in a dirty manner because we recognize that he made us right from sin. So this is just a great moment, even if it's at your kitchen table and all you have is a Dr. Pepper for you to confess your sins and worship a holy God. Let's pray together. Jesus, my words are so simple on such amazing truth. I wish I could put them boot together better. But I trust you with your word. I trust you that you will teach me and teach us more and more about your greatness and in particular today about your holiness. I can't quite grasp it, Lord. I can't grasp it, but I want to grasp it. So Please teach me even this week. Help me as I have it in my mind that you, you land the truths about yourself, Lord. I'm willing to hear I pray for my friends, my family in you, Jesus, that are taking this in online. I, I pray for them to desire that as well. Lord, we want to be holy as you're holy. Lead us there. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.